0: Hello everyone, welcome to Confusion Confusions. We are Gracia and Ashley and in this week's episode we'll be covering the tourist experience. So this week's episode in the tourist experience will actually be covering quite a broad range of topics from ecotourism to Airbnb, tra- traditional Airbnb as well as backpacking and VR travel. So I'll begin by talking about my understanding of ecotourism so basically ecotourism is actually a very debated topic just because um the act of tourism itself right requires you to uh fly of like often you you need to fly using an airplane right and Mm -hmm. and the airplane industry is one of the biggest carbon emitters so Mm. that's one reason why ecotourism is very debatable and some people don't consider it to be like truly sustainable. However, the ecotourism industry actually it sustains a lot of local in like a lot of local industries, like local people, right, that have sustainable relationships with what with the wildlife. So for example, recently, right, because of the pandemic, so there has been like a drop in tourism and hence a drop in like the revenue of many places that uh depend on ecotourism. Mm-hmm. So this has led to like uh look some locals, right, like they resort to exploiting the environment or certain because the local industries break down, then the locals they they infringe into the wildlife and like it's like basically they destroy the relation the relationship that eco-tourism created Mm -hmm. so for instance right uh, there were 12 rangers who guarded the Viranga National Park where gorillas used to live so it's a national park where tourists used to visit like gorillas in the Democratic Republic of Congo Mm -hmm. but then actually 12 rangers who guarded the national park were killed there like recently uh. Mm -hmm. I think it's a few months ago yeah, oh. so actually the area has always had a lot of conflict and it's one of the most dangerous like conservation conservation areas. But I guess like the pandemic also led to the, the national park being more vulnerable economically. And mm. yeah. So actually Park Rangers got killed. Which is like for me that was quite so like shocking that people yeah. actually get killed, like trying to protect the nature and, like, animals.
1: But why do you think that area is so particularly vulnerable, though?
0: I think it's quite a complicated thing. It's, like, there are, like, militant groups there as well. Oh. Yeah, so it's always been very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But I think there are also a lot of other places that have been affected by, like, a drop in ecotourism numbers. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so actually ecotourism sustains a lot of local economies. Yeah. And mm-hmm. even though it's not, like, the best solution, but it's, like, in today's time, it's, like, considered a better solution. Yeah. Yeah, but I think you still need to scrutinise, like, what is actually considered ecotourism. So, actually, like, um. because there's there's been, like, intensification of tourism in countries, like, New, Zeal- New Zealand, right? So New Zealand, their tourism is a lot, a lot of it is, their economy actually is based on the grass and like their natural, their natural um, sites and their natural and reputational capital, right? But then, now New Zealand is, as it's trying to expand its economy, right? It needs to increase, it wants to increase like the volume of tourism. So this intensification of tourism can Result in, like it's like in a in a in a in a in an attempt to like expand its economy and increase its economy because it relies a lot on tourism, so it intensifies the num the volume of tourism. So like I read a study that says that it like New Zealand should instead look towards increasing the value of its, the value that it the value of tourism that it creates. So mm. yeah. So it's not really like the volume of tourism, but the value. So there's this concept actually called provenancing, which, which is, it applies to, I think, not just tourism, but it basically enables customers to see more directly into the, nar- the narrative of a product, not only in terms of traceability, but also through the ethical values it may embody, oh, such as okay. yeah, such as environmental care, the heritage of landscape, as well as animal welfare. Yeah. So uh for for example, right? One of the su- a successful example of ecotourism is is the watching and interacting with like whales and dolphins. I think it's a very common mm-hmm. form of ecotourism. And even this form of ecotourism that like it did, it uh differs in terms of success because it's a very high profile ecotourism activities, right? And it transforms the way in which sea creatures are valued. So, so like, tourists... Like, in the past, when it wasn't ecotourism, you would see, like, whales and dolphins maybe as a natural capital to harvest. But then now that it's been transformed into ecotourism, right? Like, the act of observing the whales and the dolphins actually creates economic value, right? Mm. Yeah, but then... You also, there's also a need when you introduce ecotourism, right, to regulate it to prevent like there being too much negative consequences to the environment. Mm. So, for example, if you do not regulate the distance and the direction of like the boats watching the whales, right, it might actually like affect the pattern, their breeding pattern, their migration and their activity which will, would result in like negative consequences on the natural environment. Mm. yeah so in New Zealand there's also like ecotourism in terms of like watching and interacting with whales and dolphins Mm. so yeah there's a need to like regulate it I guess
1: but is there not a lot of regulation
0: with that area? I think it depends like there are some places where the regulation is not as strict but Mm. I think in New Zealand the the this, this form of tourism is actually called I think cetacean tourism, C E T A C E A N, cetacean tourism. Mm-hmm. is actually highly regulated in New Zealand. Oh. I think yeah. I think overseas in some other countries is not that regulated. Mm. Yeah, and there's a lot of instances where, because ecotourism isn't regulated, then it creates because of the intensity of the volume of tourists that arrive. Right, then it destroys the natural environment.
1: Mm, okay so speaking of how like tourism has affected the environment i read a pretty recent case on how like covid affected the venice canals so Mm. it's about how like the normally cloudy canals became water like which had water that were like crystal clear enough to see the fish swimming below and at first a lot of people thought that because Venice has a lot lot of tourist area, so they thought that um, the crystal clear canals were due to the lack of pollution from tourists. But actually, it, was, it wasn't like a direct sign of better water quality because it was the result of the lack of boat traffic, which typically kicks sediment to the surface. But apart from that, there were also swans and dolphins which were spotted in Venice, which were very, very rare for that area. So that also shows how, like, um, I guess COVID has, I guess, helped to heal the environment in certain ways.
0: Mm.
1: But it's amazing to see how quickly it healed the water. I think in terms of attracting animals back, that was the main effect. But I guess, like, for the pollution and things like that, like, it's never really healed. Like, it's just how much has been covered up or how much has been, like, how much has sunk to the bottom Mm. of the waters yeah Mm.
0: yeah I think Venice is a place where there's been very intense tourism
1: Mm. what are the areas you think like have very intense tourism I realise that a lot of
0: cities Mm -hmm. have the most intense tourism so maybe that doesn't really have like that big of an impact on the natural environment since like cities are already like they've already taken away most of the natural environment mm. that is like fully natural right mm, for example in Singapore but yeah. mm. I think Japan is, has quite a lot of tourism mm-hmm. and I wonder like I think oh, there's, but there's this place right there's like, they're famous for coral reefs. Coral reefs. Mm-hmm. What is it called? The.
1: Uh... <laughs> Which one? Uh... Oh my Lyman god, we Lyman Lyman haven't Lyman Lyman been
0: Lyman Lyman traveling
1: Lyman Lyman in so long. Hi, Maldives. No, that's the. Uh... Let me search. Um... Coral reefs. Great Barrier that... The Great hmm? Barrier Reef. Oh, yeah
0: yeah there's I think that's one of the place with the most amount of like tourism mm. that has actually impact impacted the natural environment because coral reefs are very vulnerable
1: mm-hmm. mm. but I think other than like what like people immediately have um effect on like maybe the waters there's mm. also there's also case studies of like mountainscapes right where people who have haven't gone there like for like 10 years and then maybe they return and then they see how the place has like completely been destroyed by like not destroyed but it became a lot less beautiful than it was like 10 years ago and that shows how like like even the presence of tourism affects like the air and everything. Mm. I think it's important to note right this has been like highly
0: intensified because of the advent of the internet and social media. Yeah, because like for example, you know, there's this thing where like you geotag a place, right? So for example, the the like in your Instagram caption, if you put like the location tag of a place, yeah, then everyone on social media sees it, and they also go to that location. Mm. That has resulted in like some areas being having to be like regulated because of like the amount of tourists that turn up as Mm. a result of like the geotagging. But I feel
1: like a lot of tourism these days also feel like super superficial like yeah in a sense where you don't really i guess you can never really live like a local but a lot of times traveling becomes a reason to have nice photos Mm. like the whole advent of like um travel vloggers and i guess like, going to a place but not really truly understanding it or seeing it and just, like, making pit stops and taking photos. Yeah, that's true.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, now I'll be talking about, like, Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Have you ha- ever had any experiences in Airbnb? No. I you have You've never tried Airbnb? Mm, I have only stayed in hotels. <laughs> oh. What's your perception of Airbnb then?
1: Um, I don't know. I feel like the ones that I've seen, um, like that people have stayed in were quite nice. Mm. That I saw on, like on YouTube or like from my friends' stories, but it's Airbnb also seems to me like a hit or miss thing. Yeah, yeah, that's true.
0: I think okay. So my first experience with bed and breakfast, right? Cause Airbnb is basically bed and breakfast. It's mm-hmm. like the new version yeah it's actually in japan um mm-hmm. so in japan they have this thing called minshuku okay it's, in chinese it, it's minshu mm. so, minsu so basically it's like the traditional version of bed and breakfast before airbnb was even like before it even existed mm-hmm. i think it was it's also common around some other countries in asia but basically in japan right Minshukus are like family run Airbnbs like bed, bed and breakfast area so they have guest houses or like like they own certain like, a, like or almost like places that look like hotels mm-hmm. but they they own the area right and they own the out, outdoor area also mm-hmm. so they're like gardens and everything outside and then sometimes they also own like farms countrysides or mountains as well as like um the coastal area near the, nearby the guest houses. So yeah. these are usually fam- family-run establishments, right? And when you go there, it's actually very intimate and it feels very authentic. Like It feels like you are going to live in like someone's house.
1: Okay. And,
0: yeah, a lot of the Japanese um, minshukus, right? They have like special themes and like they're decorate- decorated really nicely. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, one Minshuku I went to, I remember, when I was a kid, it was, like, it yeah, had a lot of soft toys everywhere, like, in the rooms, in, like, they have this, like, um common area also. So, so, you have your guest house that you rent, and then there's a common area where you get to eat breakfast and everything. Yeah, then, it's, like, basically, they decorate it with that theme. Then there's also, like, the outdoor area with, like, gardens and everything. Mm. So, it, it's, like, it's a very authentic Japanese experience. And then the facilities you, you use is also similar to like the, that of a normal Japanese home. And mm-hmm. they're usually less luxurious than hotels. But they are like very interesting to live in. Mm.
1: It's very
0: like cozy, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, my mm-hmm. first, um, that was my first experience with bed and breakfast. So I've always... I, I think I I would almost prefer like bed and breakfast just because they're more not only afford uh, affordable but it's a more interesting experience that you wouldn't be able to get in your own country. Mm. Yes, and it provides you into like an insight into how other people live, and also because there's an aspect of like the
1: the architecture of the place being so unique. Mm. Yeah, and then I I can totally see you like opening a minshuku when you're like retired though. <laughs> I wish though that would be so
0: cool. Right. Yeah. Then they serve like meals that are also like local meals are basically cooked mm-hmm. by the family. And so after that I've been to I've I've also tried using Airbnb. Yeah. And Airbnb like once it popped up, I I've never been I don't know if there are even any more traditional bed and breakfasts. Probably still in Japan, but I think not. I think in America also have bed and breakfasts, like traditional bed and breakfasts. But I think they have like dropped in numbers because of Airbnb. Mm, yeah. Because Airbnb makes it more accessible to open a bed and breakfast compared to these family run establishments, right? That might have been like carried down for like many years. Mm. Yeah, because Airbnb, you can just open one in a random apartment. Yeah. You, you don't actually need a guest house. So, my experience with Airbnb is that it's less intimate and authentic of a local experience compared to minshuku. Mm, okay. Yeah. And, mm. but then, obviously, Airbnbs are still more cosy and intimate compared to hotels. Because hotels are multinational brands. Yeah. Yeah. And so, actually, Airbnb, uh, there have been, like, negative effects in many countries. Have you read about them? No, I haven't. So, actually, some residents, like, Airbnb, because of an increase in Airbnb, right, it has increased, like, the housing rent in certain cities. Especially, oh. yeah, in Europe, especially, like, larger cities like Europe, um, New York, and... So the, the, the state rent, the rent of housing has increased, which is also why many countries, right, they have tried to restrict the presence of Airbnb. Like in Singapore, we have restrictions on Airbnb. Like I think it's illegal almost.
1: Oh, I didn't know
0: that. Yeah. So yeah. for example, in New York, right, actually state law prevents um, renting apartments out in most buildings for less than 30 days. Unless the hosts live permanently in the same space mm. and the pres- actually the presence of Airbnb is mostly like the social and economic aspect because the price of housing increases. And then yeah like in New York, even though there's a housing crisis, like you know there's like a lot of homeless people mm-hmm. yeah but, but they still re-
1: but still residents still depend on Airbnb for income. I would have um, assumed that Airbnb had the reverse effect. I didn't know that it made it more expensive to get housing. I thought that with the presence of Airbnb, it would be easier because there would be so much more variety. Mm. Because Airbnb is catered towards short-term visitors like
0: tourists. Yeah. So they actually introduced tourists into local, like maybe smaller cities that might not have been like might not have been used to having like tourists in their cities, to mm. so increase the rents for some cities.
1: but have you had any like bad experiences with Airbnb or were I they all like no. No. no I've never had a bad experience but I think also
0: you need to do your research well like when you rent when you go and rent an Airbnb you need to make sure that the the reviews are good and everything mm. yeah
1: Okay, but speaking of major cities, there was this thing I read about, like, fake tourist attractions. Have you ever heard of it? No. I think it's quite funny. Like, so there are a lot of tourist attractions that are made based on, like, famous stories or, like, fictional characters. That a lot that have really become popularized, but they're kind of ingenuine. Like, for example, Juliet's balcony in Verona, Italy is a very famous tourist attraction. Mm. And it's kind of originated from shakespeare's of course like romeo and juliet but the thing is like the story is fictional and it's and it isn't like real so the balcony just belongs to like a random person who decided to capitalize on the existence of his balcony he created created the story himself he, he he created the fact that it was juliet's balcony from Romeo and, Romeo and Juliet yeah which is quite funny right like and, so, and do people believe him yeah it's like a famous story spot oh it's like really a famous story spot and and like there's even like movies like letters to Juliet which mm. kind of showcases the the balcony and further popularises it whoa yeah so it's based on like a, almost a scam yeah the whole thing is like a scam and there's like a lot of places like this like mm. for example, the there's like this place called Bran Castle in Bran mm. Romania, and it's said to be Dracula's house, which Dracula stayed in. Dr- Dracula, Dracula, Dracula yeah. stayed in. But then, apparently, like um, cause Bram Stoker's fictional character and the real vet Vlad Dracula neither stayed in the in the castle and. Stoker never even visited Romania. So like co- the whole thing is a scam as well. Mm. Yeah. Like capitalizing on people.
0: On like ignorant tour ignorant, ignorant tourists.
1: Yeah, I guess. There's a How lot of view other view there's view. a lot of other case studies like this. But I feel like it's just quite I don't know, it's quite amusing to me. Because mm. it's just like The fact that so many people believe it, when I guess for example, one day you just say, Oh, today I want to I want to pretend that my house is like this famous person's house. And Mm. then after that like millions of people believe it. Isn't that kind of crazy? Yeah, but I think also that's so sad though. Like why would you want to deceive so many people? I don't know. I guess time. But let's say like you visited this place and then you found out that it was fake, how you feel? I'll
0: feel I guess if the experience was good you will be i I'll be like, okay, whatever. But if it was like a boring place, then I'll be like I'll feel scammed and like my money was cheated, you know? Like mm. people's hard earned money and then you think <laughs> <laughs> I like, could have but, done
1: something else. Mm. Yeah. Like just now you're talking about like the disadvantages of like tourism, right? Mm. but then I've, I, I realised that even though these like capitalistic ventures are not always like um, they're not always started with like the best intentions mm-hmm. but sometimes it's like very beneficial for the like place that it's situated in for example there's this story called mm-hmm. um Sleepy Hollow I don't know if you've heard of it nope it's like based on this like um fictional tale of this uh, I think it was like a, Hitler's knight, chasing after, I don't know, um, mm. it's like this like famous like American story, mm. of story, headless horseman. I think it's a very, I, it's like a popular iconography. But then I don't mm. know if it's common or not. I, I think I can I can imagine like I I feel like
0: the the symbol that you described the Hitler's knight sounds familiar,
1: yeah. right? Yeah. I feel like... Yeah, it's, I think it's a popular Halloween... Um, icon. It's like icon. Icon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, after that story was created, right? The town that it was... Like, the, it doesn't have much association with the town. But then, like, the legend of Sleepy Hollow... A town decided to name itself Sleepy Hollow after the legend. Because mm. it was, like, in a very bad situation. Mm. And then after the name transformation, the industrial town, right, became a spooky destination and a fall attraction for New Yorkers. So after that, like, there was also a TV show that was, like, named Sleepy Hollow, and the whole town, like, with a population of, like, 10,000 people, became, like, a tourist hotspot, and it helped their town to survive. Then Mm. I think one of the people who lived there mentioned that Critics don't understand how the name has kept their town alive. Because it was like the source of of, so many people's livelihoods. Mm. So I I guess. mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I think when you see it, like... Sometimes you don't understand the context in which, like, this kind of... This is also considered fake tourism, right? Yeah. But like, when you actually see how it changes people's lives, then you understand, like, the impact, like, the profound impact it has. Yeah. And the benefits that it creates even though like you might you might think that I thought it would like fake tourism is such a Mm (laughs) deceptive deceiving immoral (laughs) immoral venture I think if you think about how it can transform an entire city like from a large scale right like the long term sustainability that it creates for the city like economic sustainability Mm -hmm. is quite beneficial Yeah.
1: yeah plus I think like in comparison to like the travelers' money, which I feel like is, if you're traveling and you're deciding where to go, the money you're probably rich. needs to be spent anyway. <laughs> you're rich. It's like, it's like probably like, to them, it's probably not a not a significant enough amount to like have a huge impact on their lives. Yeah, I guess. Yeah,
0: disposable income basically. Yeah,
1: mm. that's the one. Rest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, mm. okay. So actually, Airbnb, okay, let's talk about backpacking now. Okay. Okay, so backpacking, like when I imagine backpacking, I don't know why, but I, I always think of like Caucasian people. <laughs> like a Caucasian, like a young Caucasian couple with a giant backpack. I think maybe because I see it a lot in Singapore. Like a lot of young Caucasian couple. Oh
1: yeah, that's true.
0: And yeah. I, this, let's not make this about race, but that's just all I, like, that's the icon I think of. Mm. But, okay, so I read this article, right, called The Mutual, Gre- the Mutual Gaze. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so interesting because, like, it provides a perspective not only on, like, the culture of backpacking, but the entire tourist experience. Mm-hmm. If you actually think about it. So, there's a quote, right, where the act of observing something happening causes a change in the thing being observed so that applies not only to backpacking like 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 individual tourists looking at the locals right but also to ecotourism like uh, like when you look at animals like when you like when those like you know those whale watching companies yeah like the act of observing the whales right causes a change in the thing being observed does it make sense
1: Oh, okay, yes. Yeah. When you word it that way, yes. Yeah. So um
0: in terms of backpacking, right, the change the 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 mutual gaze is between the backpacker and the locals.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mostly backpacking the locals that we refer to mostly is like people from developed countries. I think backpacking is very common in uh rural areas and like areas with like more Like, basically, like, non-city, not, places that are not cities, like, like
1: rural farm areas or, like, uh, less developed country. I think when you go backpacking, you kind of, like, some people also really want the idea of, like, toughing it, you know? Yeah. Like, they search for, like, mm. a very exotic experience. Yeah, taking a route that's less travelled.
0: Yeah. So, even though I do see backpackers in Singapore, but I think most backpackers like, you wouldn't go to Singapore as like your only destination. I think Singapore Mm. is like a pass, it's like they pass by Singapore to go, their main intention is to go to places like other parts of Southeast Asia, like Malaysia, Mm. Indonesia, Laos, Myanmar. Yeah. So, I, I wouldn't say, I think Singapore is not really like a place where backpackers would intend to go but we also have backpackers like, just like, it's like part
1: it's off. like part of the Asia kind of
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think in Europe there's also a lot of backpackers and America too. Just everywhere. Mm.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so the mutual gaze is like the the article actually studies like the impacts of backpacking on like the locals and like how the locals actually perceive backpacking. Because sometimes you think of like the impacts, right? from the perspective of someone that's, like, not local. But mm-hmm. then when you actually study, like, the local's perspective, you realise that what they see as impact is, like, actually different from what you would think. So, okay. yeah. So, like, locals, for example, they, they prioritise, like, the social impact of backpacking. For example, in, like, low-income countries, right, locals um, have, like, voiced out that backpacking actually results in like increase in like children begging for money
1: or like oh. begging
0: for food. Okay. Yeah. And so that's like a social cultural impact. And then also there's like um like another negative impact is the uh Wait, let me find it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah the the increase in like sexual promiscuations, like, improper oh. sexual conduct. Because, like, um, backpackers, they, sometimes they indulge in, like, hedonistic activities. Okay. Yeah. Then, this has, like, social impacts on, on the, on the people and, like, the, the local area. Mm. Mm. So, for example, right, the Indian beaches in go is a, it's like called G-O-A. Mm. It's a major goal, a major in attraction amongst backpackers and has a reputation for like beach parties, drugs and sunbathing, nude swimming. Mm. So there are like a lot of negative social impacts that locals like perceive backpackers to create. Yeah. So, mm. okay, other than the negative Impact social impacts, which is what the locals like, um, tend to focus on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are also like definitely positive impacts on of backpacking.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One of the main ones is like both ec- the economic and social uh, benefits. So, the because backpacking, the backpackers usually look for uh, less traveled routes, right. So, for mm-hmm. instance, they might not because backpackers they are on a budget say so they so they might not stay in like expensive multinational hotels you okay stay. they would, they will would probably stay at a small inn and then they will also eat food that is from businesses that are locally owned so this results in like the businesses that um backpackers contribute to right, and the profits right are retained within the country. Rather than flowing overseas, so this is called like economic leakage. So the profits owned from the profits earned from backpacking, right, are retained by the by the locals. Uh, so there's less economic leakage out from the country. Mm-hmm. So backpacking actually has a positive impact on um developed countries, like in terms economically, and then this has like trickle down effects on like the social aspects mm. Mm. and they also access like more local uh, entertainment for example like diving equipment local boat transport etc mm. yeah and I think backpackers are also they contribute a lot to ecotourism mm. Mm.
1: okay so like on the complete opposite end of the spectrum so just now you classified backpacking as like budget traveling, right? Mm. So now we're gonna talk about deluxe traveling. Have you ever heard about this concept before? Yes, I've seen it on TikTok. Like
0: you know, those there's like I think I saw this video of like um someone that works as, uh like I don't know if it's like a luxury travel. Advisor. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I always see like videos of of on TikTok where they are like, like just shots of Maldives. Like pristine beaches,
1: mm. like basically uh, they make you mm-hmm. wanna go <laughs> <Wanderlust>. <laughs> But also like, um, on the very extreme end, mm-hmm. I was reading this article about how like the growing ranks of like newly minted billionaires and others of extreme wealth are turning the idea of traditional travel on its head. So like, they are taking it to a new extreme, mm-hmm. like. Um, there are brands in countries like Los Angeles like cities like Los Angeles and New York who are doing deluxe travel in a completely different way like arranging for a private magic show with Penn & Teller in Las Vegas so it's equivalent to like a show which is supposed to be for a concert hall full of people but only for mm. 8 people mm. and things like delivering penguins to a hotel room for a birthday surprise taking clients to trek to Everest base camp with um, the grandson of someone who made the historic first climb to the summit. And then, like, travelling by helicopter to spend the night with the Nepalese royal family before re- returning to Kathmandu. Like, all of these very extreme things. I feel like these are what like rich people do on the regular. <laughs> right. I guess. But then... <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't know, but <laughs> but um, I guess a very interesting like insight that I understood from reading this was also that, like even in wealth, right, mm. newly affluent people and people with like old money kind of travel differently, mm. which is interesting because I I always thought like it's the same, but then people who are like newly minted like wealth. Mm-hmm. are usually more flamboyant, in their preferences. And then they will focus on things where bragging rights are like more important. So they'll be more obsessed with dining at the right restaurants like Giro and Ultraviolet and things like that. But then for Omani money European like or like old money like Asian families they'll focus on things that are like more um unique experiences I guess. So they wouldn't mind like toughing it out, like living, like staying in a temple to experience, like the the life of a monk, that kind of thing. Okay, that makes sense. So I think like yes. um, mm.
0: like the newly affluent, right? Like they chase after more superficial materialism, right? mm. and I think it's also seen a lot in like the middle class, like the like the the. The, the the increasing middle class, right, where, like, a mm-hmm. lot of them want to purchase, like, they go on, they go on, like, trips, right, overseas to those factory outlets and, like, buy a lot of luxury goods. Mm. Mm-hmm. A lot of middle class people are doing that. So I think mm-hmm. it's a reflection of, like, the rise in, where, the rise in the middle class in, like, group also. Mm-hmm.
1: mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's actually so much so that, like, outlets have become, like, a travel destination, kind of. Yeah, like, luxury outlets, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, but, okay, so moving on to our last topic for today, which will be virtual travel. So, what's your, like, perception of virtual travel?
0: I feel like I don't, I don't really have an impression on that. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe... I don't know, maybe I only know like going on Google Maps, Saturnite <laughs> View, Google off,
1: <laughs>
0: Sometimes I look at Google off, but that's about it.
1: Mm. I don't know, to me, like the idea of virtual travel wasn't mm. like never really interested me that much because I tried with VR once and it was kind of like underwhelming. I feel like nothing can compare to the real life experience. You know? Yeah but I was reading this like article and I felt that the very interesting part for me was the article talked about virtual time travel and it doesn't mean like going back to a place in the past because that doesn't seem very well but it's, the, I, it's like creating a real illusion of time travel where like people who experienced it felt a virtual like felt a shift in their real life lives after the time travel like they're working with like the butterfly effect and creating a real life impact on their lives accounting what which is quite yeah as in okay but I think the the experiment has is still like in its nascent stages mm. so it hasn't been like fully established as mm. to how they're gonna achieve that but then so far what they've done is um, okay let me find let me find it. So basically, they're using this famous like trolley problem, which is a hypothetical moral dilemma that has been given the VR treatment before. So basically, in the VR world, participants first experience an event in a gallery with two floors and they can operate the lift to take other avatars to the upper level. But once they reach the upper level, one visitor avatar takes a gun out of his pocket and starts shooting. Then there are five people on the upper level and one on the lower floor. So it's the conundrum of like, do you send the lift back down and sacrifice the one person to save the remaining survivors on top, or, or like, what you would be able to do in that situation, mm. and then basically they made they did this experiment like in a repetition model. So if you lost a life in a video game and respawn, then um, like okay, so like they repeat repeat just like in a video game where you like lose a life and you can respawn. Mm. But then, in the time travel version, once they go back, they can see an incarnation of their previous self's actions. That is so crazy. Which is is the butterfly effecting. I feel like I cannot imagine that being realistic. Right? I don't know though, but... Like, the findings of the experiment said that the time travel condition people were consistent with the idea that muting the past would lead to a more comforting feeling which means that there was like at least glimpses of real trauma in them from that experience Hmm. I think the idea of time travel like it
0: really gets into the human psyche like like your like your because like 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 the human condition is such that you cannot change Um, like, you cannot control time. Mm. Like, you cannot control things that have happened in the past. Mm -hmm. So, there's, like, a lot of... Like, basically, the entire human experience is revolved around the fact that you can't control, like, your past. Mm -hmm. Or your future. Yeah. So, the ability to
1: control that, like, it changes the entire human experience. I don't know. I think, like... To me, when I was younger, time travel felt like such a desirable thing. Mm. But then, like, currently, it feels like, if someone told me, like, that I could be given the option of time travel, I don't think I would take it so readily right now. Yeah, it's, like, scary, right? Yeah, it's, like, so much power. Mm. I
0: think, yeah, I think, but it also begs the question of whether, like, um, virtual reality travel is actually truly travel, right? Because, mm. like, why isn't it just, not just virtual reality? But I guess that's the dimension of the time that you, that you, that you suggested, that you talked about. mm
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think, like, the concept of being able to see consequence through travel is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, like one of the applications of this is to use it for, like, psychological therapy, Mm. Especially to treat like post-traumatic stress disorder mm. So for people who have like a past that they can't reconcile with They can use it to replay an event And kind of like resolve it within themselves
0: mm. That's also interesting Because just... mm-hmm. like normal travel Like especially um travel where you come in contact with like na- the natural environment Also has that kind of impact Like therapeutic impacts
1: Hmm. But I think it's not as, like, targeted, I believe. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Okay, so we've reached the end of today's episode. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I hope that it helped you kind of get a taste of travelling since we are all stuck in our own countries. And for our next episode, we'll be doing Ancient Cities. And as usual, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other major podcast streaming platforms. See you next week. Thank you. Bye bye.